The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. We are planning your financial future. Here with me, Andy Lister and Don Fox from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning gentlemen we're once again chatting by phone for the obvious reasons of self-isolation but how are you coping with all of this ah busy 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 um you know obviously when uh, there's bad news uh and certainly you know markets going down would be considered bad news not to mention the health bad news so you're getting uh, kind of double barreled right now and the economic impact um you know i'm sure all financial planners are Probably working on a few extra hours now, keeping keeping on top of things and letting clients know, uh, you know, where what kind of advice we can help them with. What sort morning, of question? Good morning to everyone. It's just, uh, and I think that this is just to piggyback on that. There's just a lot of uncertainty around what's going on in the economy, of course, on top of what's going on with the uh, containment of this virus as well. So, what sort of questions are they asking you? Pretty much, I mean, the common one is: Should we be doing anything now? And I know that sort of in general terms, the sense of that is, you know, should we be changing anything in our portfolio? Should we be going into something more conservative? Uh, is, should we be taking an opportunity uh, of anything, uh, rebalancing our portfolio? So it, there's a lot of, um, that can go in a lot of different directions, but basically the sort of general question is, is there anything we should be doing now? And then I think the second, the follow-up question is, you know, are we okay? Are we going to be okay? Uh, in terms of our plan with respect to our financial goals. Is this one of those scenarios where you're better just to ride it out? I mean, what advice do you give them? Well, again, it's uh, definitely one of those things you want to ride out. You don't want to be selling when things are down. And uh, that, that's you know, no different than any down market. This is just another down market. Now, um, with all these down markets, the commonality was, is always, and this is no stranger to uh, anyone, is when's it going to end? And that's probably the biggest question. And, you know, I go back to the kind of the 2008, 2009 crises. And, you know, on March 9th, papers, media, et cetera, pretty much concluded that it was at least another five years of uh, uncertainty, maybe in 10 years, that the markets will not rebound. And that was March 9th, 2009. Now, that was also the following day of that is when things started to go up. So there's no magic bell that goes off saying, okay, this is where the markets end or stop going down and start going up. That mm-hmm. does not happen. And so, but again, that's what everybody loves. They love the data saying, and, and everybody's lives works, work on deadlines and meetings and so forth, but markets don't work on that. And that's why things, you know, become a little bit more emotional because of the unknown. And I think that's exactly right. The unknown is where you have a lot more, the uncertainty in the unknown is where you have a lot more uh, stress and uh, and fear around somehow it's different this time and that um, for whatever reason that we're not going to recover, that my capital is going to be lost and that would be, you know, our doomsday scenario. And as Don, as you were talking about the 2009 scenario, uh, which it, it, it was interesting. One of the things that was a powerful chart that I was reviewing with clients this week is um, the fact that in 
even in a period like at the end of this year, or sorry, the end of last year, for example, the market was up 22%. But at the same time, there were periods where it was down for the year, and it was actually in negative territory. And if you go back to 2009, which was the start of this recent bull market that just ended, but the market was actually down 27% by March 9th, but it ended up 27% by mm-hmm. the end of the year. So it, it, it's, and in fact, looking back over the last um, 40 years, in every single year, whether there was a positive return or even some, and a negative return, there was always a, a further decline where markets had dropped um, even more than where they ended up at the end of the year. Another example, going all the way back to 1980, at some point during the year, the market was down 10%. But by the end of 1980, it was up 33%. And more recently, in 2013, the market was down 6% at some point in the year, but ended up 32%. Uh, So this type of volatility exists in the market all the time. It's just when it's in short chunks, uh, the, the news quickly passes and the market recovers. And I think this is just an unprecedented uh, amount of news and focus that we're hearing, which I think makes it feel a much, much different this time, even though it's not. What do you say to those that are at retirement age or coming up to retirement age and they're seeing, obviously, the, ma- the market go down? Well, when the markets go down, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting you look at, okay, do I have to retire right now? Uh, it, it may not be the best thing you want to think about, but, you know, the reality is, um, you know, it's volatile, and it might make sense to postpone your retirement. If you, if you can postpone your retirement for six months and not pull from your investments for six months, that can make a big difference. And I know Andy and I have spoken about the Monte Carlo analysis many times, and the best-case scenario for a retirement in terms of never running out of money is if the market goes up in the beginning years of your retirement. Well, that being said, the exact opposite is also true. The worst time to retire is Mm. when you start having to pull money out of your investments when the market is going down in the first year or so of your retirement. So if you can avoid pulling money out of your investments, then it really doesn't matter if you retire now or later. But if you do have to pull money out of your investments to retire on, delaying it may, may make sense. So I, I, just to piggyback on that, so I, I, it's true. I've seen clients who have built up, they have a cash reserve right now, which means they don't have to draw on their investments and they're still planning to retire. And other clients that also have uh, you know, a guaranteed income through pensions, et cetera, that they are relying on for their monthly cash flow. So again, they don't need to touch their investments and in proceeding with their retirement plan as, as they had already uh, decided to do. What about, is this a good time? Is this a good time to make money? I mean, many people are, are trying to hang on to what they have, but on the other hand, is there opportunity now? Uh-huh. Well, we've been, yeah, we, we've been uh, on a weekly basis, Don and I have been participating in conference calls with our investment manager, managers, the, the professionals that are looking after uh, client portfolios and making investment decisions on a daily basis. And you know, there's a lot of feedback and a lot of questions from us to them as well about, is this a good time? Is there opportunities? And um, it, it, in almost all cases, uh, it, it comes down to time horizons, too. If you're, if you're thinking, I'm going to put some money into the market, but I want to take it out in 
you know, two months when the recovery or three months when the recovery happens, I think that's going to be very tricky to try and time something like that. Now, on the other hand, if you have a medium or long-term horizon, uh, our investment managers are feeling really uh, strong about the, the, the stocks have a very good outlook at this price right now, more so than fixed income investments or bonds because uh, interest rates, which will probably remain flat, but eventually if they start to rise, that will, be, that will have a negative impact on fixed income investments. But some of the strategies that are going on right now behind the scenes, one is something they call an option call, where they can limit the volatility, the downside volatility, by purchasing some insurance against that. And the nice thing now is that many of the managers who have used that strategy have been able to sell or, or, or monetize, as they call those options, and now are able to use that cash that they made through that strategy to actually buy stocks at this point. So I, I think that there is a lot uh, of opportunity, and uh, professionals typically are looking at this as a, as a way to build positions that they like or add new positions that may have been overpriced previously. And, um, and, 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 a lot of t- and they're also keeping cash levels high in the sense uh, in anticipation that there might be a need for additional redemptions as people think about cashing money in, unfortunately. But, um, uh, you know, so it, it's, I think they're really looking at this issue now. Is it a, the balance between a containment strategy versus the economic strategy and, uh, and, of course, we heard uh, President Trump talk about this this week where he was quoted as saying, we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease itself. Yeah, and uh, further on that, that's on the, you know, the management side of the funds. If you're, but from a personal side, if you had extra money, um, I, I can't think of a, a time. Every time you look at these charts in the past 200 years, you can always see these dips. And you always think, boy, I wish I bought during that dip. And we're experiencing a dip. We don't know how far it goes down. It, they, you know, basically, stocks have gone down 30% from their high. And, you know, I had, oh, uh, about 10 clients uh, last week, you know, suggest they want to add more money at this time because it's, uh, it's at a lower price. So I say, wow, you know what, basically, uh, you have been listening over the last many, many years to me, and, uh, and maybe uh, it, it is an opportunity. Again, we don't know if you're, going, if you're buying it at 25 or 30% off the high price, we don't know that's the best price, and nobody does. Um, it could go down to 40% down. But at the same time, if you're getting it at a discount from the high, eventually the markets do get back to where they were. And yeah. you, you know for sure that you've bought them at a discount, and you're going to profit by the time they go back up. I think there's a great, uh, great analogy, and I was looking at some research on what Warren Buffett had done during the 2008 financial crisis. And uh, in the depths of that crisis, he was quoted as saying, and, and we've, you may have heard this before, he said, a simple rule dictates my buying. Be fearful when others are greedy, and be greedy mm. when others are fearful. And most certainly, fear is now widespread and gripping even seasoned investors. That was a quote from him back in 2008. And then in early 2009, he declared, Buffett, should, we should buy America. And he actually bought in in the early stages of 2009. The market actually fell another 20% after he had already made his call to invest. So Hmm. even he didn't get it right in terms of hitting the bottom. But up until 
right now, 20 at the end of 2019, as we get, sorry, 2020, even with this decline, he's still up 298% from when he purchased back in early 2009. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Services. 905-529-7165. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Uh, Andy and Don with us uh, via the phone uh, during this time of self-isolation. But uh, the governments both uh, in the States and Canada have announced some pretty robust uh, aid packages. What are your thoughts on, on the money that's coming out of government for Canadians? Well, the, uh, there's, like you said, a robust plan is probably the best way to look at it. Um, the Canadian plan, $82 billion. Not billion with a B. That's a lot of money. 82,000 million, okay? Just trying to put it in perspective. I don't know exactly what a billion is, but 82 billion is a lot of money. And so when you look at that, they're having 27 billion in direct support to Canadian workers and businesses. And then on top of that, another 55 billion to meet the liquidity needs of Canadian businesses and households through different tax deferrals. So there's, it's kind of broken up in many different areas. But uh, first of all, you know, Great timing, Andy. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, I think that um, and the interesting part is that there's this unified front in terms of stimulus right around the world. Uh, $2 trillion from the U.S. government. Europe is involved in, in, in terms of a stimulus program as well. And uh, so we see, from a fund management perspective, all of these initiatives really if we're looking out three to four months from now, we see really an unprecedented tailwind in that uh, towards the end of the year as all of these initiatives take hold within our economy. So I'm going to go through these uh, initiatives because, you know, it's one thing to, you know, hear about them, that they're here, but how does it affect you as a, as a small business person, as a parent, as a person with a mortgage? So kind of going through each one, and, and the first one was just simply tax relief. And we, we mentioned this last week, actually, that they've extended the tax deadline of uh, many tax payments. Uh, for individuals, you don't have to have your tax income tax in until uh, June 1st. So that's a, that's a good start, um, particularly if you owe money. Now, on the other hand, if you are getting a GST credit, a child tax uh, benefit, you should try to file that ASAP because they still want to get those uh, numbers correct so that going for the 2020 and the 2021 years, you'll get the proper amount of uh, GST credits and child benefit, child, um, Canada child benefit money coming in. So that if you can, um, the government does recommend that you get that in just as, as you would normally so they can get you the proper amount. Um, but also, if you are expecting a refund, certainly don't wait till June 1st. Uh, get that money. You put the, for those that put money into an RSP, hoping to get this refund, and particularly if they have a line of credit, that they wanted to pay off with that refund, uh, you know, just because they passed it down, I would suggest you uh, 
go grab that money as soon as you can. And, and even though interest rates have dropped, um, it's still interest, and we, it's always good to pay off that debt. Um, as far as uh, others go, they, that was for individuals. Um, and also, they, uh, if you have any tax owing, um, anything after March 18th, and you right up till September 1st. So if you had, a say, an income tax installment, or even you owe tax, you don't actually have to pay that tax anymore until August the 31st, 2020. And again, it may not, it's just simply a deferring. So you're still going to owe the tax. But if you think, well, you know what, I'm not employed now, I'm working less hours, uh, whatever the case is, I expect to be back to work in a month or, or whatever the case is again, why not, why pay the government early? So if you can pay them August 31st rather than, you know, the the normal times, or if your installment would be normally due uh, was March 15th, well, then the next one's due June 15th. Well, you don't have to make that June 15th installment until now August the 31st. So and, uh, all these things help out. Exactly, and uh, just it, it, it allows individuals to hang on to their cash flow and, uh, and use that as they see fit during, this, uh, during the crisis here. Corporations have to file, at, as usual, no extension for corporations, your personal corporation or business, to file their tax return. It has to be done as usual. Uh, but the payment of tax is, again, extended until uh, the end of August. And uh, as Don was saying, they're encouraging people if you, to e-file returns. Now, this, I have a problem with this because I have traditionally been a paper filer. I know it's old. Yes, school, I remember but, you with uh, the you got the pencil still, don't I love, you? I love I love just being able to send all my papers and slips in and know that if there's ever a question, they've got it and I don't need to worry about revisiting it. But uh, so they are they are encouraging people to e-file tax returns this year, particularly if you're expecting a refund. And uh, as a temporary relief, you, you, electronic signatures will be accepted to authorize electronic filing. Other than the extension of the deadline, is there really any change in the tax year? Does it change the way we do anything other than the dates are later? Well, yeah, you, you don't, the date's later, but you also don't have to pay the government as, as early as normal, as right. you mentioned. And that also, uh, that date also extends to people that have trusts with a December 31st year end. Uh, if you owe tax um, after the March 18th, that's kind of the line in the sand, by the way. Anybody owes tax after that date, um, that was when this, this uh, $82 billion package came out. And before September 1st, you again don't have to pay taxes on that trust until August 31st, 2020. So they've uh, basically allowed lots of deferral of the income tax right now. Exactly, yeah. So in answer, there's really no change to the income tax uh, process and filing. You just have this deferral of having to actually pay. And all of that interest-free. That's not going to cost uh, the client anything. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Now, you do have to file um, June 1st. And again, I would assume, and I didn't check into this, but I would assume that if you file June 2nd, you are now a day late. And if you owe tax, there would still be the, the 5% late charge fee. You may not have to pay interest on what you owe um, until August. You don't actually have to make the payment till August 31st, and therefore aren't charged any interest on that portion. But again, once you're late, you're late. So they have extended the deadline. And if you're thinking, oh, well, I owe money. I'm not going to do my income tax until August 31st. No, no, get it done before, before June 1st. But again, with the thinking that you don't actually have to make the payment until August 31st. Well, and, just, and, and I think just to add to that, too, I think that these numbers are talking about $82 billion. 
And as Don said, $27 billion is going to be direct support, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But this $55 billion, which is basically just a deferral of taxes that are going to be paid anyway, uh, in an effort to give people access to cash right now until the end of August. You talked about this being an $82 billion package. Uh, some have said this is not enough. Your thoughts? Time will tell. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, shorter this uh, lasts, um, the, you know, the less we need. If, uh, if it goes on further, longer than they think, then uh, they may have to add to this package. Absolutely. So, again, it, it's such in flux right now that nobody really knows the right number. You know, maybe, well, 82, maybe 82 billion was too much. But, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the number is, they will make adjustments on it. They, this is kind of their first, you know, they've, they've added a couple things along the way, but this is their biggest one so far. And they may make it bigger. You're absolutely, um, you may, you're absolutely right, Scott. Yeah, I think, I mean, a $27 billion is the actual support. So I, I'm not, I, I don't agree they should be saying it's $82 billion, but that's my opinion. Um, I think that uh, right now the issue is getting access to the money. So it, we're encouraging people to go online, set up your MyCRA account, and go into um, uh, MyService Canada and set up your accounts there. And that's going to be the best way to access these support systems is through the electronic uh, medium. And, and certain things that are affecting the individuals, uh, we did mention last week that they have reduced the RIF payments by 25%. So that's the minimum. So if your minimum RIF payment was, say, $10,000 a year, you can now take out 7500 this year, and that would be the new minimum. Now, that being the case, you always have the option with your RIFs, whether you take it monthly, quarterly, yearly, etc. I would suggest you, if you, normally the people that are taking the minimum out often don't need the income because you're just pulling out the minimum just because they have to. So if you can defer, say, okay, I won't take my monthly, I'm going to change it to yearly and have the payment set for December 15th or something like that. Therefore, by that time, perhaps the market would have recovered, and you're not selling at this time on a monthly basis. That's a great idea. And I, I um, in fact, I was just going to piggyback on that because it's going to take time for financial institutions to implement that 25% mm-hmm. reduction strategy. And so if you're taking it on a monthly basis, your institution isn't going to have enough time to get it done for you for, say, March 31st if you were, or April 1st, if that's when your next payment comes out. So in talking with your financial planner institution, see if you can uh, if you can skip a couple of payments and maybe start your payment, stop them, but start them back up in June. Maybe by then uh, the institutions will have a system in place to deal with reducing that RIF payment by 25%. Yes, and they've, uh, they have added some real income support. As Andy said, the other, the big one, the $55 billion is more tax deferral, so you don't actually see the dollars in your pocket per se. Um, but there is some income support to Canadians. Uh, Canadians with, uh, without paid sick leave, um, and they're quarantined or forced to stay at home to look after their kids because their kids are in school. Um, starting March 15th, they're waiving the one-week period for those um, that are, you know, have been imposed to quarantines. Um, to get their um, EI sick benefits. And uh, they don't have to require a medical certificate now to access those EI sick benefits. So those are things just to make it easier to get the claim and get the money quicker. Now, that's not really coming out of the government's pocket, perhaps. Uh, Maybe it's just one week, but they're just trying to make it easier. But the real one is the new emergency care benefit. This is where they're actually using, you know, government funds 
to help out Canadians, and basically it's $900 biweekly for up to 15 weeks. And this is administered through the CRA, as Andy just mentioned, you, uh, my CRA account, you go through there. And basically it's, it's providing income for workers, including self-employed, who are quarantined or sick but do not qualify for employment insurance. Um, also workers, including self-employed, who are taking care of a family member. And that could be kids, it could be a, a parent, but they're not able to work because of um, a sickness. And then also parents with kids who require care and supervision due to the school closures, but again, they don't qualify for EI. So they, these are a lot, of the, a lot of these people fall through the cracks. There are a lot of self-employed people. I had a, a situation where it was a personal trainer, and he's self-employed, so he's, he's not... Um, he would never qualify for EI, but he would qualify under this emergency care benefit. And so uh, it does start. It's, it's going to be available in April, and you do have to kind of retest this every two weeks. So you don't just get this uh, handed to you every two weeks. You have to more or less apply, and it's very new. They don't have a ton of information on it yet, but it will be in the MyCRA account. So definitely I recommend everybody signing up for that account. Now, I know that we also, in addition to that, there's the new emergency support benefit, and there's not a lot of clarity on this yet, but that's going to be around $5 billion. The purpose is to support workers who, again, who are not eligible for EI and uh, are facing unemployment, so we're waiting for more details on that. Yes, and then there's also the GST credit, and uh, this is, a, again, not a ton of money, but every bit helps. It's for low and modest income families, and they'll basically get double the maximum GST credit payment this year. And following with that was also the Canada Child Benefit Credit, which is increased by $300 this year per child. And these are for qualifying families that are getting this benefit, and they would get an extra $300 in the May payment. So this May, they would get this extra $300. So again, all this is to help Canadians with liquidity and, and put some money into their pockets because, you know, they're still their bills, even though to a large extent, some of their bills have been reduced um, involuntarily. Like you can't go out to a restaurant, mm. you're not you're, you're not going traveling, uh, you're not doing a whole lot of shopping. But there's still your your mandatory bills that are uh, you know you heat, hydro, and food, and so that, that's what the the government's basically come out to help. Pretty much a broad spectrum of Canadians here. And I know um, there are uh, uh, banking and mortgage uh, measures as well, but just uh, sort of piggybacking the other, in terms of small business, if you are, if you have a small business with a number of employees, uh, a small number of employees, and you qualify for the small business deduction, you are eligible for what's called the temporary small business wage subsidy, and that is for, and that's up for up to a period of three months and the subsidy is equal to 10% of the remuneration that you pay each period, so your payroll, essentially, up to a maximum of $1,375 per employee that you have for a maximum of twenty-five grand total as your, if, if you're the employer. And you access that by simply reducing the remittances of income tax that are withheld on the employee's remuneration. So I, I worked that out. Basically, that works out to uh, an employee that has a $55,000 a year income. And so that, that amount of savings is 10%. So that would be the maximum. If you're going to claim the, that maximum that the government's going to give per employee, 
the threshold's at 55000 And so if you had, you had 18 employees that were making 55000 or greater, you would get this 10, 10% subsidy. Now, that being said, if, you, uh, if they didn't get the full subsidy, you would have basically, as an employer, get to have up to tw- you know, more employees that would um, qualify for the subsidy. So in the case of, let's say, all you, on average, your employees were making 40000 a year, then you would end up with 25 you, t- you could have 25 employees that would get this subsidy, in effect. So it, it, is, an, uh, it is a nice little subsidy, and everybody that's self-employed would qualify. So even if you're, say, a, a doctor or a lawyer or a small businessman or a financial planner, for that matter, and you're paying an employee, you're, you're running a small business, and you would get this, this deduction um, of 10%. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Uh Andy and Don with us now, of course, uh, calling from home because we are all self-distancing uh, here. But, you know, for people who are on fixed incomes, how, how do you balance your income and what you're bringing in at this time? Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest concerns of everybody is to make sure they don't run out of money. You know, and, and they, quite frankly, they look at this as they're selling um, investments and getting an income when the market's been down. And even if you're in a balanced portfolio, you know, 60% equities and 20, 40% bonds, you know, certainly one thing you can do is say, okay, I want my income, but I'm going to simply take it from my fixed income side and not my um, equity side. And therefore, I'm not going to be selling the equities when they're down. Certainly, that's one strategy. But um, for others, they're uh, in, you know, kind of balanced funds. And the fund itself is a mix between stocks and bonds. So when you take money out of this every month, it's, you're not really taking out of one sector or the other sector. You're just selling parts of the, parts of the fund. So, you know, I was speaking with a couple of clients in the past week, and really, as I was just mentioning, their lifestyle has taken a huge hit. They are basically stuck at home, uh, watching more Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever they're watching, and doing more workouts at home and maybe going for a walk. And they're uh, getting groceries either delivered or they are making that one risk of getting groceries on their own. And they're, they're not spending much money anymore. So I, I was speaking with them and saying, well, if we're not spending as much money, why should we be you know, paying you as much? And certainly by paying you with the normal amount that you're getting every month, it's just going to sit in your bank account and therefore not being spent. So I gave a few scenarios. And let's say there's a 70-year-old person that has $300,000. And it's making 5%. And that's kind of the average we've used in the past. And they were going to take out $2,000 a month. The whole point of this was they said, well, I want this money to last until I'm 90. And then, it, and then if it runs out, it runs out at that time. So that's all fine and good as long as it does its 5% a year on average. And uh, so it would actually run out at 89.6 years old is when this would run out. 
if they started taking out their $2,000 a month. However, given the current situation, it's now dropped, and let's say it's dropped from 300000 and I'll be... I'll exaggerate a little bit here, and let's say it's dropped to 200000 And if they continue to pull out their 2000 a month for six months, that means they've dropped that down from 200000 to 188000 just for their 2000 a month payment. So when the market goes back up to the 300000 it doesn't get all the way back up. It only gets back up to 282000 because they have less money there working for them because they've been pulling it out during this, during this downturn. Yeah. So now, instead of running out at age 89.6, it now will run out, after it's recovered six months later, it would now run out at 88.1. So basically, because of this six months that you've been pulling out the same amount of money, your money runs out a year and a half earlier. And this is how important it is. Try to monitor how much money you're pulling out of your investments at this stage. Now, the other option, as I was mentioning to his client, is... Well, really, your Canada pension plan, old age security between, you know, both spouses, really covers your fixed costs. And this was extra money that you're spending on traveling and entertainment and um, clothing, etc., more than non-essential items. So, what if we stopped the two thousand a month for six months, and then restarted it after the market went right back to where it started? So, right off the bat, the market goes from three three hundred thousand to two hundred thousand. Nothing's pulled out. Then it bounces back up to 300000 Then it will last 20.1 years after that stage, and it will last now until the person's 90.1 years old. So therefore, by stopping the payments for those six months, they actually gain two years more in terms of how long the money will last. So at the end of the day, we're trying to conserve the money. And going back to what I said earlier in the show about the Monte Carlo analysis, and people talk about retiring and is it a good time to retire, it doesn't really make too much difference if you retire as long as you don't need to pull money out of your investments at this stage. If you've got money sitting in cash, okay, that's fine. You're not pulling out of things that have gone down in value. But now is not a good time, if you can avoid it, to pull out the same amount of money per month, and you're not spending it anyway. So what happens is it goes in your bank account, and it may just build up there, earning Mm -hmm. practically zero better to keep it in the market than earning zero. And a lot of times we see where people do have extra cash built up in various savings accounts, checking accounts, high-interest savings accounts, and little pieces here and there. And this is where consolidating that sort of cash position gives you a better picture so that you know you can draw on that and leave your other investments alone. I was chuckling. My son said he's back from university for the last couple of weeks. He said, you know what, Dad? I've only spent 20 bucks in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And then he asked you for some money. (laughs) Exactly. We are planning your financial. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, 
The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well. Uh, listen to old archive shows there as well. All right, Andy and Don, we, you know, everybody's coping with this uh, COVID-19 scenario, like it or lump it. What can you do here? We're just riding the roller coaster. Uh, what can we learn at times like this from people who manage money? Well, I was talking earlier about Warren Buffett and, uh, and his entry into the market back in the financial crisis of 2008, which he actually, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times titled, By American, I Am, and that was on October 16th. And as I said, the market continued to go down another 20% till uh, March 9th before it started to rebound again. And at that point, they were down 30%. And there was widespread market fear. Investors were in dire need of some inspiration at that point. And, uh, and so it's amazing how that sounds familiar today. And uh, there was a few quotes that he shared uh, back at that from that stage, uh, the financial crisis period, when he's discussing uh, on the topic of fear. And he was quoted as saying, fear is now widespread, gripping even seasoned investors. But fears regarding the long-term prosperity of the nation's many sound companies makes no sense. These businesses will indeed suffer earnings hiccups, as they always have, but most major companies will be setting new profit records 5, 10, and 20 years from now. And it's funny, as I was reading these various quotes from him, it's just it's how interesting how parallel they are to the things we're considering and thinking about today. When he was talking about, uh, asked about where things are headed, he said, I haven't the faintest idea as to whether stocks will be higher or lower a month or a year from now. What is likely is that the market will move higher, perhaps substantially so, well before either sentiment or the economy turns upwards. And then finally, on, on investor behavior, he was quoted as saying, in the 20th century, the Dow rose from 66 points to 11,497 points. And you might think it would have been impossible for an investor to lose money during a century marked by such an extraordinary gain. Hmm. But some investors did. The hapless ones who bought stocks only when they felt comfort in doing so, and then proceeded to sell stocks when the headlines made them queasy. So just some great, you know, I think quotes from Warren Buffett, who we all know has done extremely well in his own planning and his own uh, investment decisions. And the other thing I want to talk about is the, the, the power or the, the thought process of trying to time the market. And this is where we're in this period of fear, and we think, it's somehow it's different this time. I've got to get out of cash. I, I want to get out of the stock market, and I want to get back in when things are better, when 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 it looks like things have settled down. Well, that point at which things have settled down is typically too late. You've probably missed some of the early recovery. And just to reinforce that, I was looking at a um, a graph that showed the value of $10,000 invested in the Standard & Poor's 500, a broad measure of the U.S. economy, from 2004 till the end of 2019. And that $10,000 would have grown over that 15-year period to $36,000 if you just left it invested. 
But if you missed the 10 best days, the 10 best days, and this week alone we've seen the market go up 10% and down 10 But if you missed an up day of 10%, which is can happen, if you missed the 10 best days over that 15-year period, your rate of return was cut in half to only 18000 hmm. So you went from uh, potentially earning 9% over 15 years to simply 4% by missing 10 of the strongest days over 15 years. So it's so difficult to time the market. And um, unfortunately, our history shows that again and again, we are, we are bad at doing this. And in, in looking back at, we look at stock flows, money moving in and out of equity type investments or stock type mutual funds. And in every, almost every case when the market has reached a bottom, there are negative flows into the stock market. People are taking money out. And then once the market moves higher and people feel comfortable, the money starts to flow back in. And if you continue to repeat that process, taking it out when it's down and you're uncomfortable and putting it back in when you feel good, you are going to crush your rate of return. And even going back to my example of missing the 10 best days, if you miss the, if you miss the 40 best days, you actually end up with a negative return of minus 3.5% over that 15-year period versus you could have earned 9% or 36000 on your 10 grand if you had just left it. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Even though we've just gone through one of the longest bull cycles, it's amazing how many people weren't involved in it. In fact, prior to the 08-09, there was a larger participation in the stock markets back then. And then after we went through that Great Recession, less people were involved in it for the following 10 years. They kept having reasons why it was going to go back down. Well, we've got this opportunity right now to uh, buy, but uh, the bottom line is by just hanging in there and having some faith that blue-chip companies will do well over the long term, you also prosper when they prosper. And don't try and, don't try and hit the bottom. You're never going to hit the exact bottom, as I just talked about Warren Buffett, and, uh, but yet you'll still be rewarded. And if you look out uh, at, you know, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, historically, when we've seen these types of severe pullbacks in the neighborhood of 20%, the return, 20 to 30%, the return one year from now on the Standard & Poor's 500 has been aver- has averaged 40% after one year, 52% mm-hmm. higher after three years, 94% higher after five years. Almost doubled your money hmm. within five years. We and have been planning your financial future. For the analysis or, or the newspapers or magazines to tell you when it's a good time to buy or to sell. It was only just a month or so ago when um, Future, uh, Fortune Magazine, Business, uh, Barron's, Forbes magazine, we're all talking about the Dow hitting 30,000. And that was only at late January. And uh, obviously nobody saw this coming. And they had all the great reasons why it was going to hit 30,000 very quickly. It will come back and hit 30,000, but it just will take a little longer now. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They will get back to you. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen, and appreciate your patience during uh, unusual situations. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Listen, everybody, stick to your plan. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.